Right guys, welcome back to another episode of the No Limits podcast with me, your host, Mark Ormrod. Now, I'll start with an apology because you regular listeners will know it's been some time since I uploaded the last podcast. No excuses, just haven't got around to it, haven't found uh, a guest which I thought would really inspire and motivate you. There are plenty out there, but I'm quite picky. However, I am happy to say that I have solved that problem because today I have a not only a phenomenal guest for you to listen to, but a phenomenal role model. Uh, if you have a young daughter who is you know, currently between the ages of 8 and 16 and is online a lot looking at all these YouTubers and Instagram models and those kind of people, um, divert their attention this way for the next 55 to 60 minutes because the lady that I've got on the episode today is phenomenal. She's got a phenomenal story. I'm not going to tell you too much about it because I don't want to steal her thunder, but I heard her a while ago on a friend's podcast, on the Duratus UK podcast, um, and I had to get her on, I had to speak to her, and I had to share her story with my audience. Now, I'm going to apologise before we start, because the audio quality was patchy in places, but I am sure you will get the overall gist of Helen's story. It is phenomenal. I'm not going to say any more than that. You need to listen to it to fully appreciate it. But Helen Barnett is the guest on the podcast today. Have a listen. Let me know what you think. Sit back and enjoy. Helen, welcome to the podcast. And thank you so, so, so much for giving up your time to come on here this evening because we were just talking off air and I really want to share your story um, about what you've been through, what you've accomplished in your life, uh, what, you're, what you're up to now. Because like we just touched on off air, um, I'm really kind of passionate about pushing positive role models out there to the world. You know, and, and there are some, but most are in the shadows. And I'd like to do what I can to get those stories out there as a father of three, uh, particularly with two daughters, and get those really inspiring stories of, of strong, empowered women out there who have done a lot with their life, a lot of positive and a lot of good, and have made something and made a success of themselves. So that's why I wanted to get you on, because I heard your story, uh, God, I think it was just before Christmas on the Dreyus UK, uh, Gaz Banford's podcast, he's a friend of mine, and I was blown away, you know, and, and I don't say that lightly, and it does take a lot to make me sit back and go, what? She did what? And when, when I listened to yours, I was like, I need to connect with this lady. And then I started, you know, I started following her on Instagram, not in a creepy way, um, just because I wanted to learn a little bit more, you know? So with that being said, um, I don't want to say a massive amount. I just want to hand it over to you. And I'm sure you've told this story a number of times now, but, you know, start from wherever it is you want to start and just take us through it chronologically because I'm sure the people listening to this are going to be just as amazed as I was. Oh, thanks, Mark. And thanks for having me on. And and thanks for what you've done for me. I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, so I grew up in a little Cotswold village and, you know, in heart, I look back and I I had a, a really fantastic upbringing, really. It was really simple. Um, you know, just playing out in the fields and that that kind of thing when we were kids, which I think sort of gave me quite a a strong, robust sort of core. My mum always laughed. She said, I was always in A&E with you and your brother at one point. <laughs> you know, it, that, it, we were just free and so lucky. Um, my mum and dad were market gardeners. Um, anyway, so I was quite sporty that I joined the police. Um, and so I joined the cadets when I was 18, Mm -hmm. which was amazing. That was a year of sort of adventure training and, um, sport and, um, community service within different places in London that were attached. I was sort of attached to a mental health center, um, 
things like that and it was just an amazing grounding and a fantastic year and then from there I went on to Hendon training college when I was 19 and um much to my amazement I passed that as top student and I'd all gone through school like sort of doing the bare minimum really and playing a lot of sport and just about getting through so that was quite a surprise to me really um yeah and then passed out it gosh a long time ago now 1986 I went to North London as a, as a very naive 19-year-old <laughs> Uh, and that that was a really sort of steep learning curve, um, and it was just it was sort of a few months after the World War riots, where in Tottenham, where Keith Blakelock had been hacked to death, BT. Um and I worked with a lot of people that had been with him, and so that was the kind of sort of environment that I went into, and you just had to sort of hit the ground running, and um, you know just uh, you know learn really quickly, and I grew up very quickly. So yeah, and I, I was just a relief officer, you know, on shift, on, on patrol, um, and sort of the year, sort of years ticked by, and um, you know, I'd like to think I was quite a sort of competent officer, and um, sort of felt you do as you're younger, don't you? you? You sort of feel fairly invincible, really, and I was really fit and strong. Yeah. Um, which kind of sort of takes me on to the, the first incident that happened that was sort of out of the ordinary. Um, and it was the uh, second September 1991, and I, my son Ben was ten months old. Um, I'd had him and just returned to work. It's before you know any sort of part-time working or anything like that. And I, and I was driving the van on late turn, and my passenger was John Davidson. And we accepted a, just what should have really been just a sort of an ordinary everyday call to. Um, a man causing a disturbance in the shop which was sort of 10 10 a penny really mm-hmm. um so we accepted the call and trundled along and uh john just jumped out of the van and went into the shop that had called us which was pretty normal just to find out what had been going on from them but i, I could see the guy who we'd been called to from the description across the road and was on the opposite pavement and uh, so I jumped out of the van as another another car police car was um, pulling up behind my van with two other colleagues in. So I tried to trust across, and it was the days before the armor. I just got a white, you know, white shirt sleeve, short sleeve shirt, and um, we were issued with these, you know, we were these little tiny um, sort of half men's size truncheons. Okay. Um, which was supposed to fit in your handbag. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that was in my locker because it was just you know just completely useless. Um, so that sort of kind of sets the scene. So I just kind of got his back on the footway, and he was about six foot four. And I just was the, just saying to him, you know, what have you been doing along the lines of that. And as the words were just leaving my mouth, uh, um, I just remember being catapulted backwards, um, you know, and I was, I was really fit and strong and, um, it, yeah, it was just such a shock and um, I remember getting I was sort of about 12 feet away from me now on the foot, footwear and I got up and this is all, all happening so, so quickly, faster than I can sort of explain to you, Mark, and, um, I remember thinking, oh, you know, there was this pain in my stomach, but I was just really angry at, at him. Um, I just I got up and was moving uh, towards him. I could see him attacking my friend. And what I didn't know at that point, he'd stabbed me in the stomach. And um, he'd got the knife uh, knife blade uh, sticking out of his fist. So um, he was punching, but, you know, with the knife blade yeah, yeah. sticking out of his fist. And... Um, so I tried to stop him st- stabbing my friend, but yeah, this was all happening just so quickly. And um, then the next thing I knew, I was flying back through the air again, um, and I landed on the pavement. And um, I didn't realise it at the time, but I'd been stabbed two more times. And uh, I, I remember sort of looking down, 
and my white shirt just literally just turned completely red mm -hmm. I, I just was so just so confused I, I didn't um kind of didn't work out what what had happened I, I hadn't seen the knife blade because you know, it just it just happened so so quickly and I yeah and I was completely incapacitated and uh I think for the first time in my my life you know I felt that fear that just was totally overwhelming you know um and uh, so I think within about 90 seconds he stabbed four of us ten wow. times so that kind of shows you you know the how quickly it happened and the mm -hmm. ferocity of it and he was a, a schizophrenic and he'd stopped taking his medication right. and he just went berserk um, so uh, it, you know it was just pretty pretty horrific really it's sort of like from an ordinary day to this sort of real really sort of awful awful incident um john who, who was stabbed in the stomach he managed to get the knife off him um with the help of an off-duty pc mm -hmm. um so yeah and then we were all um you, you know we were fortunate some of us were helped by members of the public um some of them were a bit hostile as well, saying we got what we deserved. It was kind of a mixture of both, really. Really? Yeah. Um, I didn't actually, I didn't actually hear that. They, that I was, I was sort of, I think I was a bit really. I was just sort of lying on the floor, sort of thinking, you know, I hope I don't die, you know. But so I didn't actually hear that. But that's what I was told after. Um, Did you? Find yeah, I was lucky. Surreal? Sorry, Mark. Did you find it felt very surreal, like almost like a dream? Yeah, totally. It. Um, funny enough, I met up with um, two of the other girls who who were stabbed not long ago. The first time they nearly did, spoke about it, and they filled in bits of the picture because you. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It kind of uh, my my view was like. Um, almost like looking down the straw, if that makes sense. You know, it was so limited and um, tunnel vision. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I didn't really remember a, um, a great deal, really. So it was quite, it was really nice to talk to them after all those years and, uh, you know, sort of get bits of it from their perspective. Yeah, I, I found um, when, you know, in, in my situation, it, it felt, first of all, very surreal. But then it was like inside my head, everything was going at a thousand mile an hour and I was laser focused, but outside everything was like slow motion. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like what you see in movies. You're kind of looking around and everything's going slowly, but in your head it's going, you're trying to process what, you know, I guess you're looking at your shirt, you see blood, you felt a punch. You've never been stabbed before. So you don't know what it's supposed to feel like. And then you're trying to figure out, have I been stabbed? Why am I bleeding? Why is my shirt covered in blood? What's happening over there? And, you know, like you said, a normal day, routine call out, then it's just chaos. You know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a bizarre experience, isn't it? Yeah, and it's really nice to talk to somebody that kind of gets it, because there's not very many, no disrespect to anybody at all, but there's not many people that you can have that conversation with. Because um, that, that's it's spot on. That's exactly, exactly what happened. Um, and all these... I suppose it's sensory overload, isn't it? You know, like you know, the adrenaline or you know, rushing around and you do that and you, you, learn, you know, you try and do your best um, with what's happening around you. But yeah, it is it's like literally the, the external is so emotional, like that's the feel. Um, so, so right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was funny. It was it was like I, I didn't ever like heights very much. That, <laughs> but um, that was the first time the stabbing was like the first time I'd felt fear. You know, quite a character, and I think that was a shock. Being like overwhelmed by this, mm. you know, being incapacitated, you know, with the stab wounds, but all you know the amount of fear that I felt as well. Did did you despite the um, fear though? Did you always, in the back of your mind, did you know you were going to be okay? Because I remember, for my incident, lying there, like trying to process what was happening, massive amounts of blood just, just pouring out of my body. 
I'm in this huge crater in the ground, so I know it's going to be really difficult to get me out. But I always felt that I was going to be okay. It, it, and I can't explain that either. It was like, I, I guess it was down to the confidence I had in my team. I just always kind of knew in the back of my mind that despite everything, all the blood coming out, I wasn't going to die. Did you, how did you feel? Yeah, I remember li I listened to your podcast. I remember listening to that bit and you said that. Um, uh, and obviously yours was way more extreme than what happened to me. Um, I think I felt quite vulnerable. Um, uh, it was just members of the public giving me first aid. I was so, uh, so relieved. Um, when, the, when the first police officer arrived who wasn't involved in, in this, who hadn't been stabbed you know come to our aid I remember I remember it was Angus and, um, to see his face and say he was saying you know you're going to be all right and so I get what you're saying and once he was there no disrespect to the the people that were wonderful and were helping it was just seeing somebody that I, I knew I'd be okay with yeah. yeah and then I felt okay so, so yeah I get what you're saying. And so he got you sorted out. Obviously, the, the, the gentleman who did the stabbing was detained at this point. And then all the ambulances turned up and, and patched you up and saved you? Yeah, basically. And we were, we were all taken off to um, different hospitals. And uh, yeah, we, we spent a few days in hospital. And it was a bit of a... It hit the news headlines. It was quite... Um, quite unusual really four of us and three of us were women especially you oh, wow. know back in the early 90s that mm -hmm. was quite you know unusual um, so it was a bit of a media circus and uh, but yeah after a few days in hospital being operated you know we had was stitched up and um, went home I'm yeah and yeah just went home and um, just carried on being a mum and yeah, and that it was before there was a concept of sort of any, you know, sort of um, trauma, stress, that kind of thing. You know, it just it, it just wasn't something that was on the radar really at all. I was going to ask about that because, I mean, it's only, to my knowledge, only maybe the last 10 years or so that people in, in general have started taking mental health and, and PTSD and those kind of things seriously i guess and and doing something about it and finding treatments and, and programs and help and support for it now you're talking when did we say 1991 yeah 19, nearly 30 years ago isn't it so back then it was it was the old man up and crack on there's nothing wrong you type sketch i'm guessing yeah totally um you know and if i think if somebody had said to me you know you you're affected mentally by what's happened to you i'd have probably you know just thought no way does that apply to my sort of character you know i wouldn't mm. have been open to it at all it just wasn't something with you know there was no awareness of it at all no education around it either, you know so yeah you just literally that was the mindset you just cracked on you know with it um so you do with all that yourself so you went you went home and you're obviously physically recovering from from your injuries um maybe unknowingly doing a little bit of you know your own mental health um work trying to you know get over what, what's happened and figure a way forward mm. so how, how long did how long did it take before you went back to work yeah it was a few months um because I had a few complications with you know the physical injuries but um yeah I think it was it was I forget now exactly how long ago how long it was but it was probably about four months before I went back to work mm -hmm. and I remember you know putting on my uniform was made me feel quite uncomfortable and um but um I was lucky when I did go back to work somebody took me down to the scene of, of where it had happened in the high in the high road okay. and we just walked around and uh, um you know that was really helpful sort of processing processing that and um yeah, and I, I think as far as I was aware, I, I was, you know, okay. But um, my marriage started sort of going through difficulties and I ended up finally getting divorced and, 
you know so there, there were cracks sort of a, a, appearing yeah um, so yeah I mean and it was obviously a really traumatic incident wasn't it you know it was just out of the ordinary really when, when you were taken back there was that by a professional or just one of your friends that thought it might help to get back and and revisit the scene yeah just a friend because was it? literally wasn't you know no nothing you know in place really other than that um and i was really fortunate i you know, worked with lots of really good people who were really switched on so um yeah, and that definitely definitely helped yeah so i i i carried on um working and um I decided to, to do my sergeant's exam, so I was studying for that um, in 1993. Um, and um, that sort of leads me on to the second sort of, what, what I call sort of a major, major incident. Um, and that was sort of about, around about Christmas on, in 1993. And uh, we got a coded bomb threat through from the IRA. Mm-hmm. And um, I was at the station at the time, Woodgreen Station. So, uh, and the bomb threat was to the, the exact same area, shopping centre, the Southern Takeaway. So, yeah, we, we all knew there was going to be a bomb because it was an identi- you know, identifiable code word that, that had been used. So, we dived down into cars, drove down as fast as we could to the, to the shopping centre. And there's loads of people doing their Christmas shopping and we just, just randomly just try to get everybody out, out of the shop, not knowing, you know, where the bombs were or how many there were and just doing our best really to, to sort of evacuate the area. Um, and we were just moving from shop to shop sort of randomly really. And I remember sort of going in off, off the street under a covered walkway um, and then it was this, just this almighty boom. And I go back to what you said earlier about everything going in, in slow motion, like like a film, because it was really bizarre. There was this, this, this boom, and I let, ended up on the floor, and uh, I could see pigeons flying, and it just seemed really quiet. And there was smoke, um, and I could hear a, the shop alarms going off. But yeah, it's so totally slow motion. And uh, I got got up off my feet, and I, w- I was uninjured. I was really lucky. And um, they they were quite relatively small bombs. They're about two pounds in been planted in a bin. So they just, you know, all the glass had, had, had sort of come in. So yeah, I, I went back out onto the street and saw a friend of mine, and we sort of looked at each other like in disbelief. And um, I, we we started moving up up the the path. And uh, it was a good job we did because we just literally moved away from another bin and that exploded behind us. And there was a bomb in the bin where we'd been stood next to. So we were really lucky. Um, And uh, it was just chaotic and, you know, really frightening again. And um, and of course, then you don't know whether there's going to be another bomb. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was just so we just did our best, really. Um, and, and I, I think a, a fake, um, another fake sort of um, core was put into the, where the cordon had been put in, so that created chaos. And this just went on. I kind of lost track of, of time, really. Um, that we were just just trying to clear the area, and eventually we were the group of us that were sort of originally there were taken back to the, to the police station, and um, we had a little sort of kind of a bit of a debrief in a room about you know what we'd done and what had happened and how we all were yeah again we just sort of you know went off went off home again and um that that was that was about the extent of of it all really can i just go back a little bit so the first incident the, the stabbing so you you had no idea that was going to happen so you get this call you know, I'm sure there's a certain way you feel internally when you get any sort of call. You turn up there. This happens unexpectedly. So you, you, I guess you couldn't really, until the instant, feel any way about it. But with this second instant with the bombs, you get the coded message. You know you're going to the scene where potentially bombs are going to go off, which is terrifying enough. But you've already had this previous incident with, with the stabbings. 
So now you're going to another very, very dangerous scene. You know, if you don't mind talking about it, what, what did that feel like to, to know this time that you were going into a danger zone? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think, I think I've got quite um, a, a sort of a resilient sort of character, really. Um, and I, I kind of, I, I, I sort of got this ability um, to sort of words, detach myself a bit from um, what was going on. And don't ask me how I do it, because uh, that's kind of how I think I sort of got through all these things and I, and I don't not I don't know whether it goes back to my childhood that sort of resilience that was sort of you know we built I really don't know but I can't remember feeling too frightened going there it was once the, the first bomb went on it was that that I recognized that feeling of terror again that I'd felt at the stabbing you know that was just sort of overwhelming fear again mm -hmm. But you um, got up and you cracked on, though. You know, after that first one, you know, you carried on doing your job, um, stayed as cool and as collected as you could do, and then uh, you know, sort out to the end again. I, I think resilience—that's that, a bit of an understatement uh, when it comes to talking about you right now, because I'm sure most people, if if they had been put in those positions, you know, and, th and this is my next question. Most people, I'm sure, will be thinking about what we call putting your chit in at this point, putting your notice in, thinking I've had, that's two strikes. I think it's time for me to pursue a different career. So, you know, when you went back, you had your little debrief. You obviously then went home. I mean, that's when you really process these things. When you're, when you're in the quiet and you're on your own and there's no one around asking you questions and you start reflecting, you know, what was going through your mind then? Are you thinking, right, these, these are two close calls now. I think I need to do something different. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um... I think in hindsight, um, I was kind of like on a bit of a treadmill, if that makes sense, um, of lot sort of, and I was studying, so um, and my, my exam was coming up um, for the sergeant's exam, and I got, you know, I was a single mum by now, so you know, I got being a mum to sort of occupy my me, and I think I just sort of that those things just sort of took over and I, I think I probably just blocked everything out to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, in hindsight, with all the things that busy you sort of in everyday life, you know, that, and I, and I trained a lot. Physical training was kind of always my go-to kind of um, thing really that saved me all along really. Um, so I think the combination of those things um, I probably just put it, put it in a box and put the lid on and yeah, yeah. yeah, but, can, yeah sorry, Mark. I can relate to that. I, I kind of think I would do this a similar thing. Yeah, you and know? it doesn't mean, does it, that it doesn't? It's not affecting you, but because um, you know, I, 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 you know, it was very stressful and trying to juggle everything. But uh, yeah, I just got on, and it was my income. You know, it was my job, and it, it and and I. I joined sort of for life really so it wasn't really you know the character I was it was just wasn't an option you just for me to to leave really um so what happened next then because <laughs> like I say so you've at this point in the space of a couple of years you've been stabbed multiple <laughs> times you've been blown up now I think some other things happened a bit a few years later didn't they yeah so the following year I um <laughs> I decided to join the armed response vehicles, which was the, the SO19, um, and it, it it was a new concept. And um, and, and uh, the, there were no women doing it, so um, I decided to to uh, apply and join. And um, I was the about, I think I was about the third third woman to be accepted, and I was the first ever mum. Um, so yeah, there I, I found myself, um, you know, in, in the firearms on the armed response vehicles. Did you think that would be safer? <laughs> what, what, what prompted that decision? I don't know whether something deep, deep in, in my head thought maybe I would be safer. I don't. I really don't know. 
<laughs> I think I should have locked myself away in a cupboard, to be honest. You should have got a desk job, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember, fully enough, my friend, going back a bit, my friend did come up to my to where I was living, saying, you, you just 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 take a desk job you know, mm -hmm. he, he was almost pleading with me like you know just take a desk job but yeah I didn't and um yeah so I, I was um passed all the courses and I was on the the uh the arm response vehicles and that leads me to kind of the third thing which was Boxing Day 1994 and uh we got a, a call by the local police <clears throat> to a domestic that sort of gone wrong and uh, our suspect had abducted his, his young toddler daughter um, but he'd got a gun and he'd got a history of violence and shooting people and arm robbery and that kind of thing. So um, we were called to uh, back up the local police and so uh, yeah we, we formed up in a, in, a, in a side street sort of a quarter of a mile and uh, the flat that we knew that he was holed up in and uh, a colleague me and a colleague went round to the, the flat and um sort of had a look at the stairwell and checked the doors and then we made our way back to the rendezvous point in this in this side street and um we were all just sort of warming up really sort of getting ready to go and um you know, the address and hopefully you know get get him to come out and you know resolve the situation that was our plan um and i, I was just at the back of one of the police vehicles uh, thinking i better get my body arm on and get sorted and uh, it, it was sort of we go off at two and we'd gone past two and sort of my my mindset was oh i just want to go home you know i've had enough and then i heard um, a colleague of mine shout, oh, that's him. And again, what unfolded was just like, just so, happened so quickly. And uh, I, I remember looking up, seeing our suspect in the kind of the junction of the road, uh, a few feet away from, you know, where, where we were. And, uh, we all just started reacting to him and I saw him produce a handgun from out of his big sheepskin coat and uh, as I was moving forward and all my colleagues have kind of moved forward I was drawing my gun um, he then outstretched his arm and um, he let off a shot and I was shot and talking about terror again I remember as I was just before being shot this feeling like I really all of my body like wanted to run in the opposite direction it was it was so much, you know, really horrendously frightening of course you don't you know you just you do not opposite that yeah it was, it was just overwhelmingly terrifying um, and yeah and I knew instantly that I'd been shot it was like being hit with um sort of a, 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 a the force of a lorry it was just the impact no pain and again that's what we were saying earlier mark you know this everything closes off around you um all i remember is one bang a puff of smoke and then i didn't hear anything and he he was i think our bands were let off i think they he was hit eight times um but you know can't remember any of that um but you know the, the body just sent the this kind of Focus, don't they? Um, and I, I dropped down onto my knee and kept my gun sort of up, up as much as I could and and then I, I, after a period of time which I have no idea how long it was but it would have probably been just seconds um, I managed to crawl behind from the police vehicle and the shooting subsided and I knew it was safe and um, yeah, that's when it starts, really started to hurt. I guess the adrenaline sort of dies down a little bit, and yeah, then then I'm you know it was really painful. Um, yeah, I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> and it's funny, there was a friend of mine there who I'd known from years back, and he, he was he looked down at me. He crossed the road and looked down at me, and he went, "Oh no, not you again!" We just sort of had this. You know this black humor that i'm yeah. sure you you've yeah. shared many a time like oh no that's <laughs> not me you know it's just like unbelievable 
Um, and But I was really lucky. I hadn't got my body armor on. I could have been shot anywhere, and I was really lucky. I was shot through the knee, and it went through the front, round the side, and out the back. And just unbelievably, like I told you, know, if millimeters sort of further across, and it would have shattered my kneecap. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, although it was awful, um, you know, it could have been a lot worse, couldn't it? Yeah, you're right. Um, do you mind if I ask a bit of an insensitive question? Please go on. <laughs> Which one hurt the most? Which one were you most scared of? God, that's a good question. Um, I think um, I think it was the the gunshot was the most painful. Mm. I remember being in the back of the ambulance going to the local hospital. And uh, I just started shaking un- uncontrollably with pain and making more morphine. And so yeah, I think I think um, whether that's a really interesting question. Whether, I wonder whether psychologically I wasn't as robust as I was, you know, when I was stabbed when I was young and younger. Nothing that ever happened to me that bad. And so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I perceived it was more painful. I don't. I don't know. But yeah, it seemed like the gunshot was more painful. Okay. So now then, right <laughs> at this point in your career, you've got a hat trick. You've been stabbed, <laughs> blown up, and shot. Are you now starting to think maybe I should move on and do something different with my life, or are you still <laughs> in there for the long haul? See what you can do. What happened then? Well. Yeah, I never returned to work after that day because that was the last day on duty then. Um, yeah, I remember another friend of mine coming to A&E and um, I was lying there on the trolley and he kind of looked down at me and said, for goodness sake, I think he used a few F words. If you're not, you've got to, you've got to give up now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Along the line, that was just kind of the way the conversation went. Um, but I've got such a, a stubborn sort of character. I just didn't want to, but I just, yeah. I mean, mentally, it, it just that was it. Really, that was kind of overwhelming, and um, so I was eventually. Um, I, I was very lucky. Got really good treatment from an amazing guy called Professor Gunter, who was um, SRAF okay. officer. Um, real top of the tree in, in post-traumatic stress which really wasn't kind of heard of was it you know back then um and i got some you know, fortunate uh, it took a bit of battling to get the funding and my, i had some really good um friends and colleagues Colin was my generation, but he really fought my corner and got the funding and so i was really fortunate to have that um which kind of helped me realize i wasn't going completely mad you know because it you just can't kind of grasp what's going on and I was I was just I was a really robust character so it was quite hard for me to accept but yeah and so eventually I was medically discharged with PTSD in 1996 okay. um, yeah so um, and and that was quite difficult because there was nothing like there is now you know there were no support groups there was no social media it literally it's just like um, you know you handed in your warrant card and you that was it it was just gone, you know, nothing. Um, so, um, I, you know, it's really, it, I know we've got a, a lot more we could do, but we've come such a long way um, yeah. with how we support people, and which is great to see. So that was quite an isolating time, really, because I think I, I felt, you know, I'd lost my identity and my purpose and all those kind of things that kind of, you know, make you want to get up in the morning. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, Mm. And I always feel a little bit, um, and I'm sure not every soldier on the planet will agree with me, but I always feel very fortunate in that, you know, when I was injured, I didn't want for nothing. Like anything that I needed or my family needed was provided for us, like instantly. Um, I almost felt to the point sometimes when I was, when I was mothered by people, because they were, they were trying to do too much for me. Mm. And I'm kind of like, listen, back off a little bit. I just need to do some stuff on my own. But, you know, back when, when you were serving, 
you know, none of this, none of this stuff really existed, did it? And I, I can't imagine how, how difficult it must have been then. You know, especially, like you said, when you leave, you're in that, in that bubble with, with your military buddies or your, your police buddies. They're people with similar mentality, similar training, similar work ethics and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I left the, the Royal Marines twice. And I remember the first time I did leave, like you, you know, you said you hand your warrant card in. We hand an ID card in. We walk out of camp. I went back to the camp maybe a week later because it was in Plymouth where I live here. I knew all the civilian security staff. I went to use the gym and they wouldn't let me in. Mm. And it was like, come on, lads, you know me. You know, you know, yeah, we can't let you in, Mark. Sorry. Mm. You know, and it is hard, isn't it? Like you say, you feel like you've lost your identity. You know, what's my purpose? You know, this is all I wanted to do. And now I've been medically discharged, you know, not through any fault of my own. Now what do I do? You know, because I mean, if you don't mind me asking, how, how old were you when you were discharged? Yeah, so I was coming up to 30. Still yeah. really young then? Yeah, really young. Um, I think my saving grace really was being a mum, you know, because I did have moments um, that were quite tough, really. Um, he kept me he, he kept me going and I'm, I'm lucky I've got a really positive personality and I think thank goodness and I've got my training so and I was you know if, if I was having a bad day I was having my training and, but um, it was hard because there, there I was you know I, I was this I didn't quite know where I fitted because there I, I was a woman and quite unusual you know you I could drive cars fast I could shoot people you know, all that, all those kind of things. And I thought, you know, uh, you know, and, and with my diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, kind of, I thought, but, you know, what do I do now? Quite, um, and I felt quite, uh, probably then quite sort of embarrassed maybe, you know, that I'd, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I've got this diagnosis. Yeah, it was a really uh, quite, you know, difficult time, but, on the other hand, I was so lucky, you know, really lucky. Um, and, um, you know, I've got good fa good family and, you, you know, like, like you know, you, you've just got to, you've just got to try and work out what works for you and sort of every day kind of do those positive things that work for you, whatever that is. I guess that's what I've tried to do, you know. Um, I can almost imagine it on, on the school run, you know, when you're, when you're out and you're trying to figure out where you fit in and, you know, you start speaking to one of the other mums and they're like, oh, so what do you do then? Oh, I was in the police, I got shot, got blown up, got stabbed, you know, what about you? Um, I run the local coffee morning, if you ever want to come down, uh, feel free, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a bit like, where's all my adrenaline fueled alphas, you know, that one around me? Yeah. Uh, again, another. Oh, it's really lovely because you really get it. Because I did honestly feel like an alien, and I just didn't talk about it. Um, yeah, really. Yeah, because of the experiences I had, I did really struggle to. to you know, I genuinely felt <laughs> in a, in a diff on a different planet, really. And so I didn't talk about it, you know. And and that went on for years. And it really, it was only sort of. Um, which kind of nicely brings us around to really kind of how I, you know, I'm talking to you and all the things that have happened in the last year. Um, I did the deadlifting world record with a team of veterans for, to rock to recovery. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I got asked at the ripe old age of 53, if I join in the team and I, I said yes. And then sort of had this massive anxiety attack for about six months leading up to it thinking, Oh God, what what have I agreed to? Um, but we, yeah, we, we broke the deadlifting world record. We, we were deadlifting for 24 hours and um, we raised a lot of money for Rock to Recovery, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it was like um, amazing sort of build that but sense of belonging again to kind of a tribe, you know, even if it was just for that short period of time, I felt kind of this sense of belonging. Um, you know, I obviously hadn't got a military background or anything, but it was just that. I know you know how, what I'm saying here, that sort of camaraderie and all that buzz and that sense of purpose again um, that 
and it kind of triggered something in me and um, um, I had a bit of help from Dr. Recovery after that, strangely enough, so it made me realise how anxious I got. Um, it's taken its part to discovering um, Hidden Valley bushcraft oh, run Nick. by an ex-marine called Nick Goldsmith. Um, and that was kind of, that was in about the September of last year and uh, they run they were running um, the Woodland Warrior weekend in the woods and yeah. um, and I, I looked at it for weeks thinking oh god am I bad, really bad enough to go on that you know it was this feeling there's going to be so many worse off people that meet for me that need to go there and I had this sort of conversation with myself for weeks but eventually um, emailed them and um, thinking oh they'll they talk, you know say you know go away you're not bad enough and anyway I went on the weekend and it was just incredible um, with, with some military veterans in the woods and because um, um, the, the things that Nick's gone through he kind of gets all the whole trauma side of it and you do wood, wood carving and all those all those wonderful sort of things that kind of slow your mind and you camp in the woods and it, it's just genuinely life-changing and he he put me in touch with lots of different people and um um and and event you know started doing these podcasts and it's kind of and then I, he said to me one day you'll be public speaking helen and i've done, you know just started um doing a public bit of public speaking before the you know we had this coronavirus you know um lockdown but yeah, it's just, and now I'm, I've am i been made patron of the Wooden Warrior programme. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it just, it just shows you, doesn't it, you know, how um, this amazing sort of military community can, it, you know, it's helping people, you know, like me. It's just, you know, remarkable, really. I think the fact that just now you said, you know, you were looking at the Woodland Warrior program for a couple of weeks and you didn't think that you were bad enough to, to go on it. That, that says a lot about you and, and who you are and, and your humility and everything. Um, so I know, I think I know enough about you to know this might be a little bit uncomfortable for you to talk about now, but let's talk about your commendation. <laughs> Bravery oh, commendation. Yeah. Take off the, the humble hat and just, <laughs> just just dive into that for a sec. Oh, bless you. Yeah, um, yeah. That we we all of us, all four of us that were um, stabbed in 1991, we were all the Queen's commendation for brave conduct. Um, which um, it's really funny, isn't it? At, at the time, um, I remember going, being being awarded it and. Uh, kind of thinking that you know really we're getting this award which was which was wonderful um but i, I felt they did sort of nobody understood kind of the sort of suffering that we'd all all gone through in our different ways you know mm -hmm. from that incident um but as the years have gone by I've, I've become really proud of it and you know i'm you know, really, really proud of what now. Yeah, I remember at, at the time this kind of mixed feeling. I, I said, you know, it's something I'm really proud of now. That's cool. So, I mean, you touched on it just now um, about being an ambassador for the Woodland Warrior Program. Um, I know you're a granny or a grandma. I don't know what you like to be called. But what, what's what's occupying your time now, um, mainly? Yeah. It's homeschooling. Yeah, I know. We <laughs> no. talked about this. Um, it's, it's hardcore. <laughs> Would you rather be stabbed or homeschool? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't want to get blown up again. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, during this this period, it's been unusual, hasn't it? But, but I mean, up until that, I, I was getting quite busy. And, and I was going to I've done a mental health first aid course I was going to go back and help um, at the Woodland Warrior weekends for the emergency services um, so it, it's all kind of building but it's all sort of been put on hold, hold a little bit but I've done a few podcasts and um, you know it's just 
Um, and I've just been busy just trying to, to you know, keep fit and, you know, um, and, and happy and healthy, you know, doing lockdown really. Uh, and yeah. I'm very much like you. I think we're both on the same wavelength um, in that we agree to keep on top of your, your mental health, um, you know, no matter what your background or situation is, physical training seems to be, for, for me, it's, it's the answer to, to the question. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of medications and, and pills and that kind of stuff. Just the act of going into a gym, which I know it's difficult right now, but there's, there's alternatives at the minute, is, is a huge thing for mental health. I know you love training as well. You love keeping yourself fit. Have you found that really beneficial? Oh, totally without question. It's kind of my medication mm. without question, you know. Um, it's something I, I kind of have to do for my own well-being to incorporate it in. Um, you know, I've, got, I've got better at doing nurturing things like yoga, which I would have poo-pooed a few years ago. And, and, you know, I really have got into that. As I've got older, I realise I can't keep sort of smashing my body physically. Um, so, you know, I incorporate yoga, but... Now, I've been going out just we're lucky where we live putting some weights in a, in a rucksack and just I can't run quite as well as I used to so I put weights in my rucksack and walk and run a little bit you know and we've got a few kettlebells and I've got a weighted vest and um yeah and just it, I, I know it for me how good it's for you know my mental health you know today I woke up and I'm quite a positive person but I felt a little bit just not quite as with you know sort of mm. um, with it today I don't know how, how I'd explain so I, I literally got my rucksack put a few weights in it and went off walking you know and did a route that I do and come back and felt you know just so much better so yeah, yeah. for me it's really important yeah I was there this morning I just today I just haven't been able to get going I don't know what it's been um, but you know I just woke up and was just struggling to get going today and just and just get the the fire lit, you know. But yeah, you know, I had this to look forward to in the evening, so that, that kept me motivated. Yeah, and me too. I've been so excited. It's wonderful, <laughs> <laughs> and it is genuinely lovely to talk to to you because I know from things you said and the questions you've asked and things you pointed out that you kind of you know your your situation was very difficult and you had these awful physical injuries, but you know, that you get kind of where I'm coming from. It's really yeah. that, that connection to certain parts of it that, that are, you know, are, are the same, really. Yeah. Um, that, that's really nice because you, you don't find that very often. No, I mean, I'm, again, I'm very fortunate in that I do get that because of my circle of friends where, where yeah. I live. You know, 95% of the people that I hang out with now are medically discharged veterans. Yeah. Um, so I'm quite lucky uh, in, in that respect. Now, this is a bit of a weird one. We're going to kind of bring it to a close now. But considering the situation surrounding us and being in lockdown, and I, and I maybe should have asked you this before we went on air because I'm going to put you on the spot now. <laughs> Thanks. You could be in lockdown, right, with three people. Oh, three no. people that you look up to, like three heroes, people that you grew up admiring. Who would you like to spend lockdown with, three of them? Oh, God, you really have put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> God, I don't know. I'm, I'm a real, I'm a real, um, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, oh, I have no idea. Any celebrities, crushes, that kind of thing? I'm too old to have a crushes, aren't I? Um, <laughs> no, you're not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who makes me a good cup of tea would be good, wouldn't it? There you um, go. Yeah, God, I don't know. You'd be one of them, definitely, because you, you, you make me laugh. How about that? That's one of them. I'm irritating um, after a while. <laughs> we could go off training, so that's all right. There you go. Um, yeah. Uh... Oh, God, I just don't know. There's so many I'll tell you what, have a think about it. Text <laughs> me later, and I'll add it to the end of the podcast. I'll add a little edit on the end, and I'll let everyone know the other two people that you chose. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm useless at things like that because <laughs> I, I really like being on my own. You see, that's the problem. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm similar as well. You know, I like a little bit of me time to sit and reflect and yeah, think. You know, 
yeah i like people but um yeah i definitely need time on my own yeah, understood <laughs> yeah they'd have to be they'd have to be able to put up with me wouldn't they mark <laughs> <laughs> helen listen i've said it before and i'll say it again you know it's an incredible story um and i, I just i would just love loads of these young women out there now you know somehow to be able to listen to to your story and what you've been through how you've overcome it and and what you do now and um and i've told you this you know when we first started speaking that i think you are an incredible role model for, for young women something to aspire to be like in, in a world of instagram models and influencers and and people you know that are are there for the the clicks and the likes and all that kind of stuff you know you're a you're a hero you know and i would love my daughters my daughters are going to listen to this um and they're going to learn a little bit more about you and i'm going to tell them you know this is the kind of lady that i want you to be like to grow up like this lady brave and strong and, and empowering so where can those young ladies listening find out more about you i know you're on instagram I'm on Instagram. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram. Um, Helen Barnett, 725. On Facebook, Helen Barnett. And I'm on LinkedIn um, under Helen Barnett. So those three places that they can find me. Um, yeah, and I, just like, you know, we like you know, you can overcome so much and just, you know, just have, I'd love to just you know, give people the hope that whatever happens in the life, because we all have stuff that you can just say, but you can overcome it. Yeah, and I, and I don't think, and and I, and I, I hope that anyone listening to this doesn't go through anything as severe as you've been through. But it, I think it just highlights exactly what you can overcome. You know, if you've been stabbed, shot, and blown up, you've got the hat trick there, and you can overcome it and and live the wonderful life that you live now. Um, it, you know, anyone can overcome anything after listening to your story. So thank you again, Helen, for sharing it. Um, I'm going to push this one out hard to get it to as many people as I can. Um, any last thoughts, comments before we wrap it up? Oh, no, just thanks so much for speaking. It's honestly been a pleasure. And I'm sorry I couldn't think of the three people. <laughs> just, just send me a message after this and I'll, I'll do a little recorded outro and I'll let people know. No, thanks so much, honestly. Thanks for your no kind worries. words as well. It means a lot. Thank you. All right, Helen. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks, Thank Mark. See ya. Well, there you have it, folks. Helen Barnett. She served her country with the police. She was stabbed, blown up, and shot in the line of duty. She finished her career and served with distinction and not satisfied with all of that. She then went on to break world records, receive commendations for bravery. She's an athlete. She's a grandma now. She's still living life to the full, doing it all out there, you know, as a role model for young women coming up today, showing them to be strong and powerful and empowered. So like I said at the beginning, if you have a young daughter, direct them to this podcast, to this episode specifically. Let them have a listen. And I'm sure you'll all agree that Helen is an extremely positive role model for any young lady today in today's generation. Guys, that's it for now. Uh, thank you all for listening. As always, thank you for your support. I hope you're all doing okay and you're safe and well during lockdown. I hope you're making the most of this extra time that we've got. And I hope you're trying, as hard as it is, to find some positives that are hidden deep in this negative situation that we're all facing. I don't know who's going to be next. I'm going to start searching for guests as soon as I've finished here. But as soon as I get one, I'll let you know. And then we'll record an episode. Guys, thank you, as always, for your support, your help, your encouragement. I really appreciate it. I couldn't do it without you. Until the next time. Stay safe and I'll speak to you soon.